Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So, so one of the things about the kingdom of God is you don't worry about yourself. In other words, what I mean by is, yeah, you worry about your stuff, deal with your stuff, but anybody here been waiting on a big breakthrough in a particular area? 99.87% of us? Yeah. Okay. Um, so a lot of times when we're banging our head against a wall, God will be inviting us to give that up to him and to consider something else that somebody else is worried about and concerned about. In other words, he'll say, how about you make your priority this thing that is on the heart of somebody else, and I'll take care of what's on your heart. Uh, Many times we, we feel like we don't have the emotional margin or the financial margin or the time margin to give to others because we have so many things we have need of ourselves. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. Three of us. Awesome. Pray for the rest of us. Okay. So what I want to say is, what if we laid down those things that we are saying keep us from caring, keep us from giving, keep us from serving, keep us from reaching out, keep us from partnering with God, keep us from being vulnerable to the needs of others? And what if we said, God, I trust you with this now what do you want to put on my heart? Now, again, I've said this, the enemy, if he realizes you're going to start, stop navel gazing and start caring about what's on God's heart, he'll try to put the whole world on your heart. Anybody been there? Yeah. That's why the news is terrifying because the news is like a menu, but it's not a menu. It's like all the dishes show up at your plate at once. You're like, ah, God wants to empower you to be powerful for one thing. Listen, one of the things I used to, every time I drove past a homeless person, I would tense up. Or I I would go through a season where every single homeless person I would stop for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like one ditch or the other. Like, you know, one ditch or the other. I would be like, I need to stop everything. I need to care for this homeless person till they get a job, till they have a new life, till they get married and have children. Anybody, do you know what I'm talking about? The ditch of it's all on me. God has no other resources. <laughs> I'm the only hope. We had this problem in Russia. I, I call it the Messiah complex or better yet, the Obi-Wan complex. <laughs> You're my only hope, right? Anybody felt that? Like God has nobody else. Remember Elijah said that to God and God goes, I got thousands who haven't bended the, bend the knee to Baal. I got other resources. If God is inviting us to partner with him, it's for our good. Not because he's helpless and hopeless, but he wants us to be part of the breakthrough in the battle. And so the thing is, every time I roll up to a stoplight with a homeless person, I go, God, what do you want to do? Do you want me to pray? Do you want me to give? Do you want me to stop? Your choice, Lord, because I'm on your mission. Instead of it being this overwhelming, crushing weight, it suddenly becomes, I am, I've said this before. Imagine if Warren Buffett was my boss. And he gave me the company credit card. If, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. If, if Warren Buffett said, I want you to do X, do you think I'd be checking the balance on that card? No. I mean, if he wanted me to buy a country, I'd probably be like, we can do this, 
right? You serve somebody bigger than Warren Buffett. You serve someone wealthier and more powerful. And so if God, you're telling me to do this, I'm going to trust that my salary is going to be paid. My life is going to be taken care of. And you are going to care for me according to your riches and glory. And I'll have the resource needed of energy, time, emotion. Okay. Who here has said, God, I just can't care anymore. Nobody. No, that is a resource. The ability to care is a resource. And guess what? His only begins when mine ends. And so what I wanted to say is, let's just take a moment and just close your eyes. Papa, we come before you and we, each of us, have things we've been begging, pleading for, banging our heads against a wall, breakthroughs we long to see, and we can't. So we lay it at your feet and we say, Father, receive these, our gifts. And Lord, we ask you in return that you would give us your heart for what you want us to care for, the one thing you want us to focus on, the one thing that's in front of us. In your name, amen. Awesome. Um, you know, and that's a lot of what we've been talking about with Nehemiah, right? Um, the whole thing with the wall, uh, the Lord just keeps showing me this picture of a wall. You know what a wall is made out of? Stones or brick, right? Right? It's not a wall. Like the wall doesn't descend as one big chunk, right? It's one thing. It's made up of pieces. Now, every piece could go, oh, look at me. I'm nothing, right? But when all the pieces come together, what do you have? You have a wall. What matters is that the rock or the stone or the brick is in the place it's meant to be. And when it is, and in connection to the pieces around it, suddenly the wall becomes whole and the wall walk, it actually fulfills its function. I've said it again. You, in an army, no soldier is responsible for the entirety of the army's work, right? They're responsible for the square meters where they defend, where they work. And, when, and the enemy will tie over and over again to get us to pull us out of our space on the wall in order to care about everything. And we get overwhelmed. The minute we do, we have to step back. What's my place on the wall? What's my place in my family? What's my place in my work? What's my place at this stoplight? What's my place in your plan, oh God? And so as we've been going through this, we've lo- I love this journey we've taken on Nehemiah. If you want to flip to chapter 8, uh, give you some time to get there. Uh, in, uh, we've been going through and we've had this incredible journey where in 52 days, they managed to rebuild a wall that in 125 years they couldn't and fundamentally flipped the entire destiny of this group of people from being victims to being powerful in 52 days. 52 days. What if you, in 52 days from now, your entire story of your life is no longer that you're a victim and powerless and helpless and hopeless, but actually walking in the fullness of destiny in relationship to those around you and taking your place on the wall. 52 days, they managed to do this. And as we talked about, did that make their enemies love them? Anybody play this game, this fantasy in your head that when you actually get the breakthrough, then all your enemies will go, yes. We see it now. You're wonderful. No, anybody? No, 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 just like, or at least they'll crumble and fall and go, no, right? No, no. In fact, you walking in your destiny does not guarantee that everybody will like you. Doesn't guarantee 
that, now you don't have to go out of your way to make them not like you, just so you know. Like <laughs> jerkitude is not a fruit of the spirit, right? But in fact, you walking in your destiny does not guarantee that, that the battle stops. In fact, means that the enemy begins to target you, but that God has prepared you for victory. And so in this place, we, we talked about last week that um, the answer to the attacks of the enemy that Nehemiah did was to gather them in families. It's not okay to do it alone. Did anybody find that out during COVID? That if you were left on your own for too long, bad things happened, right? And you ceased to be uh, good for societal engagement, right? No, we are, we're meant to be in family. We're meant to be in relationships, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I know uh, Scott and Sabrina have been doing a table at their home. And our heart is that you begin to connect and gather with people that are not identical to you, right? Because if you're all identical, somebody's not needed, right? But that you bring, each brings their own gift, their own grace, and they actually serve one another in love. And so in this place, they've come together and the automatic result of coming together is people give sacrificially because they see their place in the larger work they want to give. And so that's where we come to right now. Verse 73, the priests and the, of chapter seven, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with the certain people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. They found their place in the land. They found where they belong. And therefore, and so, but what, what Masha said is, when the people come in and they're wounded, our desire is to see them healed up, but not so that they stay on their chaise lounge, complete, you know, sunning themselves, but that you find your place in the battle. You find your place in the body where you matter, where you are needed. <coughs> and so in the uh, chapter uh, eight, verse one, when the seventh month came, which was three days after the wall finished, <laughs> they got a three day, they got an extended weekend, <laughs> Right. Like, there was a part of me for a long time that dreamed of when the battle stops. There was a part of me that dreamed when I would be able to coast in this life. Anybody figured out when that is? It's called heaven. It's called heaven. Just saying. Is, is listen, in this life, we are engaged in war. We are engaged in war. And there are, there, are, there, are, there are intense times and there are less intense times. But when you and I quit engaging in war, we quit engaging in destiny. That's when bad things happen. Ask David. When the kings went out to war, what did David do? Stayed home and Netflix and chill. Moving on. So... And the Israelites had settled, he said, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. The water gate, it's interesting. The water gate is, do you guys remember Jesus stood up and he said on the greatest day of the feast, he said, come to me, you who are thirsty and drink. And out of you will flow rivers of living water. And Ezekiel had given this vision of a river of living water in chapter 37, uh, or 47 rather, um, of, of Ezekiel, this flowing river of living water that flooded down from the temple through the water gate down into the Dead Sea and turned what was dead alive. And that, they're standing in that place. See, you and I are coming together to be sent out. They are the river of life that will bring life to the entirely dead land. 
The only part of the land that's living at this point is the area right around Jerusalem where they've been huddled for 125 years. But their destiny as a people group is that the blessing would fall on them, flood out into the land, and in fact, that the entire world would be blessed through them. We are the river of living water that will fill this land with his goodness and his life as we go out. So they are gathered at the water gate to be poured out. I love this. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Why is this important? So the book of the law is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If I had failed that one, we'd be in trouble. So the first five books of the Bible, they are called the law, but a better word would be the teaching or the Torah. The teaching of the order of God, the way God designed for them to live life. And it's an order that works. We talk about justice as returning things to God's divine order by which things thrive. And so, it, so think about it. The teaching, the Torah, is simply this um, lattice on which the vines of life grow. It's the structure which empowers life for the Jews. And so, so it said, so they've been asking for this book of the law. Now here's the deal. Now remember, the vast majority of the people are illiterate at this time, 99.9%. But they are, they are, they are oral learners, they learn. But the, the thing is that's happened over and over again, the book of the law keeps disappearing. Why? Because they're not putting it into practice. They're not living it out. Anybody had a revelation come to you of what God wants for you, but you didn't live it out? And so you push it away, don't you? Because it feels like shame, doesn't it? It feels like condemnation. Rather than a promise of God, it feels like condemnation. So the book of the law kept disappearing. And then they'd find it. Remember Josiah? And they're like, look what we found in the temple, right? Like, what have you been doing in the temple if you didn't have that in the first place? But anyway, moving on. So what happens is they've got this book and they're like, well, since we're going to follow God, let's do this. Well, let's find out what God desires. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women. Why is this important? Every society has some really screwed up ideas about how men and women and children are to relate to one another. Just, can we just admit that? There are no societies that have figured out how men and women can be properly valued and empowered, right? It always ends up usually in the powerful abusing the weak in some way, shape, or form, and that usually means domination control of women. Later in Jesus' times, the rabbis considered women on the same level as cattle. So the fact, revival though will always violate cultural norms for the sake of the kingdom. This is why it was out of the, 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 the uh, second great awakening with Charles Finney that the anti-slavery movement rose up. Why? Because in the presence of the glory, people looked to the left and right and saw people that looked different than them, but realized they were just as human and powerful and endowed with the image of God as they were. That's why in the moves of, the, of, of Azusa Street when, and, and the great holiness movement of the late 19th, 19th century, when people like Mariah Woodworth Eder and Amy Simple McPherson rose up, people started to realize, good grief, God likes women too. Who knew? God empowers women no less than men. 
See, in the world, the power always comes from somebody. You got to take power from somebody to be powerful. In the kingdom, we are empowered by God and there's enough for everybody. Women aren't powerful instead of men. They are powerful with, uh, at the same level in the same way as men, but in a unique way that they've been empowered. And so what happens is in the kingdom, when God's presence falls, people get a revelation of what is normal in the kingdom. And a lot of times they don't even know why. They're like, right? That's why, in fact, the civil rights movement came out of Azusa Street because, again, they were like standing next to you and like, well, you're super powerful. Why does the law treat you as a non-human? And suddenly the civil rights movement comes out of this, of the, of the, of the races coming together in the kingdom. Stay with me. So there they are. Men and women are standing together. Again, this is contrary to everything that we know of in the ancient world. So the presence of men and women and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Anybody know how many pages is that in your Bible? That's a lot. That's like 200 pages in my Bible. And said, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a bunch of guys with funny names. And on his left, a bunch of other guys with funny names. And Ezra opened the book. That's good. If you're going to read it, you should open it. That's always good. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. They stood for the entire reading. Hunger will take you places that are uncomfortable. But it's that willingness that will create a vulnerability to receive things you couldn't get any other way. That's the reason why we're given the comforter, because God takes us to uncomfortable places. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, who also had funny names, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so the people understood what was being read. We're not entirely sure, but it might be one of these situations where Ezra would call out the passage and then there were clumps throughout the, the, bo the body where a teacher would stand up and explain what that passage meant. So forget about 200 pages. I don't know how long this took. This was a very long meeting. Because you know there's always one person in the crowd who's like, I don't understand. And they start over from scratch. So this could be a very long meeting. Just saying. Uh, but again, hunger will take you where being satisfied never will. Then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, what do you think was happening? Why do you think they were weeping when they're hearing the law? Just give some ideas. Conviction. 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 Anybody gone from conviction to condemnation? Do you know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction is where you see something that's not right and you're empowered by God to bring it to God to be dealt with and to be set free. Condemnation is where you know what's wrong and you just want to die and give up. Does that make sense? Condemnation comes with shame, comes with crushing despair. Conviction comes with the power of God to go to very hard places. Godly sorrow that brings to repentance. 
So what happened is they're reading an entire list of the law. There's, de there's details about every area of life. And here's the thing. From the very first generation, nobody, nobody, nobody had lived this law out. Not a single one. The, the, very most, the biggest one was the year of Jubilee, when all debts were to be erased. <laughs> Anybody had God put on your heart to forgive someone and you're like, yeah, I don't think so. Think about it in terms of debt. They didn't, imagine that if you took out a loan from the bank, they're like, wow, it's only a year till Jubilee. You only have to pay out back for the next year and then we're good, right? That's not, this is so contrary to the world's thinking, oh, but there were so many aspects of the law that were so contrary and God's government is always contrary to this world's mind. And they realized how utterly different they were from what God had called them to. Has anybody had that experience where you just have a sudden realization you thought you was good and then you realize what God made you for and you were overwhelmed? See, God has a vision of who he made you to be and then there's where we are right now. Uh, I used to drive a, uh, a, uh, a really classy car called a 1978 Ford Pinto. <laughs> White with red interior, wonderfully faded and cracked. Anyway... Uh, now, I didn't get to see, actually, I did get to see it. I was four years old when we bought that car. Uh, but, but the reality is the car I was driving was a far cry from what the manufacturer intended. You know, we, I called it the Flintstone Mobile. You went through a puddle and a column of water about that high rose up between your knees. Uh, it was very exciting when people didn't know that and you could just drive them through puddles. Um, the, the thing is, though, is I, if I saw what it had been originally intended, oh my goodness, it did not look very, it looked even worse than it, in my mind than it did, right? When you see how you were made to be, suddenly you're like, oh, I thought I was just average, but I'm way below average. And in that moment, we have a choice of either embracing condemnation and despair or hope. See, when God, the reason why they said, do not weep because this is holy, holy means this belongs to God. What God was trying to show them was not to condemn them, was not to condemn them, but to show them what he was empowering them to do, right? So here they are, God is showing his plan for them, and they're suddenly realizing they're way down here. Now, religion says you must climb up to here right? You guys remember the image that Jacob had when he was sleeping and there was this image of a ladder and angels descending and ascending? And, many, and religion creates a ladder that you have to climb to God. And when God shows you his promise, it comes with condemnation as a motivator to get you to overcome it, to climb the ladder. But do you know what Jesus said to Nathaniel? He said, oh, you think this is cool that I told you you were sitting under a tree. Oh, you'll see better, better than, things than this. You'll see the Son of Man, angels and, and uh, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, that ladder that religion creates for you was the ladder of the cross. Jesus took upon himself and became our way to step in the things we could never be, the promise of God of who he made us to be. We could never walk in. He then became the means by which we are brought in and we are united with him through Jesus. 
in Jesus' death and resurrection, we are brought into his life and we have been made one with him. And so the, world, the people of Israel at this time, they're reading this book about how they're supposed to live together in unity and they're utterly realizing a fact that they cannot do it. That's really what the gospel should convince us, that we cannot do it. And in this moment, Jesus, they're, they're crying out. And he said, don't weep, weep, you've got it all wrong. This is not to shame you or condemn you, but to show you what God intends to give you. Because the unity that God calls us to, out of which we're meant to live life, is not something you or I could ever achieve, is it? Anybody tried unity? I... I Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um, no for hands on this one. Um, do you know that, I'm probably all of us have been through this at one time, where you're in a season where you have a, 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 a rapid series of best friends. Do you know what I mean? They're the best. They're amazing. No, they're not. You're the best. You're amazing. Never, they're not. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you thought that just being alike, you'd be friends. No, that's not enough. Huh. Maybe being different, we could be friends. No. Why? Because there always comes up stuff in between, doesn't it? In fact, we are incapable of being one apart from him. Uh, Danya found this, uh, this um, flower pot that had broken. And she decided for fun to put it back together, but it had been lying in the mud for a while. So in order for her to refit the pieces together, what did she have to do? Clean it up. She had to clean it off. So the, the edges connect. But even so, just putting the edges together, it was still incredibly fragile. What did she have to put in between? Blue. See, his power, his love will clean out the spaces between us. What, what uh, uh, Don was talking about, the things we hold against one another, the things, the secrets, we, the th ways we condemn ourselves. Anybody have a friend that you really like them, but because they condemn themselves, they won't come out to play? right? Because the things we hold against ourselves and hold against others are the things that separate us from one another. And so in that place, God comes and cleans out what separates us and he makes us one. Well, when did he make us one? Two thousand years ago, he made us one. Anybody feel a disconnect? <laughs> Wait, I, this is, um, I talked with Scott after the service last Sunday and he said, Peter, I love the message, but there's something you've said before and he didn't say it, but I wish you'd said. <laughs> See, submission, we were called to live in submission one to another and that's part of his receiving feedback from one another. And so I was like, oh, you are so right. And it's this phrase. See, we are not separated because we've been made one in him. What we get to do is explore our union. Every single time something comes up that seems to separate us, it's an opportunity to explore our union, to actually discover how we are indeed one when it does not feel that way. How is this helpful? Because in an argument, now the enemy is the disconnection that we share rather than each other. In a situation when we're not experiencing union, we are both targeting the thing that is clouding our understanding, making us feel disconnected and feel separated. Anybody done scary things in a relationship because you didn't feel connection? <laughs> you will pay attention to me! 
Ah, oh, see, our, we, our union that we share is literally un, impossible apart from him. But the good news is he's paid the price for us to be one, but not by our own effort, but by his life and his power. And so when God shows you what is not okay in the relationship, it's not to shame you, but it's a promise of what he's removing so that you guys can experience the oneness he always intended for you. Verse 10, so the response is, the response to hearing all the ways that they are not who they're supposed to be, right? What do you think the response is? Nehemiah said, so go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Oh, anybody grow up with the idea holy to the Lord meant weeping and gnashing of teeth? So how, what does it mean to be holy to the Lord? Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the joy, joy is the automatic result of walking in who you were made to be. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any of you, you stepped into the job God made for you and you're like, oh, you know, anybody stepped into a relationship, you're like, wow, this joy is, is the joy is the automatic result of righteousness, the right relationship with God and rightness that flows out of that. And joy, when we, and he said, and then that joy is what empowers us. It's our strength to actually do what he intended us to do in the first place, to live out of this union. So the Levites calmed all the people. <laughs> They calmed them and they said, be still, <laughs> be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Doesn't that sound bizarre? I'm sorry, but, but this is how bizarre and contrary the kingdom of God is that when the very moment when the world says you should weep and gnash of teeth because you see for the first time who you were meant to be and where you are, you lose everything. And, there, and God says, do not grieve, but trust in me that I will do this work in and through you. So then all the people walked in full submission and went away and partied. Descending, eating and drinking to send portions of food to celebrate. Oh Lord, I don't want to, don't make me. Celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. You do not understand the words spoken until you understand the power of God to fulfill the promise of God in you. God does not show you his promise to condemn you but to show, give you the courage and the faith to trust him to do that in you and through you. So on the second day of the month, so, so that was one day. That was one whole day, very long school day, ending with a great party. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. So these are all the heads of the family, because... Who are my practical people? What they're really going is, okay, okay, we partied. That's great. That's great. But did you look at the law? Like, like there's a lot of stuff that's out of whack, right? Because when you see it out of whack, you want to know, God, what do you want to do to begin to address it? And we talked about the wall. Anybody seen how awesome God wants you and then you saw the three billion things that were not okay in your life? And you're like overwhelmed? And when you're overwhelmed with all 3,000 things, you will do absolutely nothing, right? Right? You'll be powerless. And so they're saying, what do we do? What do we do? We're seeing all the ways God wants to build a holy and healthy unified society. He wants to build this union, this community. What do, what do we do? So they found written in the law, 
which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. What's the festival? It's it's the festival of booths or tabernacles where they would spend a week living in tents or out in these little shelters remembering how they'd wandered in, is in, the, in the wilderness after leaving Egypt and God provided for all their needs. So they literally spend a week partying nonstop. So the very first thing God commands them to do is they do a party. And then when they want to find how to build unity, he says, have a week of parties. Anybody offended yet? Is that like, there is work to do. You know, all the Marthas are like, oh. Oh, I'm a Martha. Don't, don't you get, I, I can Martha, Martha size with the best of y'all. He said, he said, I love it. He said, they found written and so, and they went to proclaim the word and spread it throughout the towns in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wood, wood, wild olive trees and make myrtles and palm trees and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and in their courtyards in the courts of the house of the Lord in the square by the water gate and the gate of Ephraim. And the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until the day the Israelites had not actually celebrated like this. Over a a, a thousand years had passed. They'd never done it. You know, there are aspects of the kingdom that have never been unwrapped until today. You and I, that God's just waiting for people to believe he really is that good. He really is that loving. And, and he sits there and he says, and, he, and it says, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read the book of the law of God and they celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So this was their worship service. It was a week long party. There is a union that happens when we party together in his presence with fullness of joy. There's a union that happens. Oftentimes, when, uh, am I the only one who's done this? When you hear what God wants for you, you try to figure out what's the biggest sacrifice you can give to him. Do you know what I mean? Like what's the worst and hardest thing? Because we'll probably start with that, right? Like he shows you, he shows you you're supposed, it's supposed to go as a missionary to, to Thailand. And so that day you sell everything, go and get on a plane and fly. No, God knows our weakness. He knows that we're grasped and he starts with what, with little things. He starts with them in the midst of community. He starts them and he wants to encourage us to discover because it's out of our union. It's out of doing life together that we're actually able to live this life. Do you guys remember what I said at the beginning? You have needs and desires in your heart that can only be fulfilled by other people. Well, how's that going to happen? It's through the unity. It's through vulnerability. It's through living life, doing life together. Now, there's another ditch. Anybody remember the communes of the 70s? That was the other ditch. The other ditch is if we're together all the time, then nothing bad will happen. No, 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 no. That's the other ditch. But the thing is, is the American dream is this isolationism. Da? Da. Why am I saying da? That that I do me, and if there's a problem, I go home and I sort it out, and then I come back out. 
They're at the point where they're most realizing the separation they, they are experiencing, how separate they are from what God desired for them, for the union they have. And yet God says, don't worry, go have a party and celebrate. And every day as you're partying, remember all the things I said I want for you and remember them as a promise that I am providing for you. This union that we are called to live is actually a union that's already been paid for. If we don't feel it, if we don't experience it, it doesn't mean it's not there. If I told you there was $100 million of gold bullion buried 20 feet under this building. I know some of you are already like, I got, hey, listen, I got the equipment. We can get it, right? Like we're taking it out. Our union is something worth way more than gold. Our union is worth discovering. And things happen. Things, what are some things that, that war with our union with one another? What are some things that seem to get in the way, if you will, or seem to separate us? Yeah, opinions. opinions, okay. I, I heard, what, what was that, Rich? Yeah. Theology. Yeah. Offense. Yeah. Jealousy. Misunderstanding. Language. Say that again. Language. Language. Secret, sin. Secret sin. What else? You got, seriously? Rodney. Have you guys? What's that? Rodney. Rodney. <laughs> wow! Wow! Turns out that the uh, sole source of disunion is Rodney. Awesome. Wow. Uh, let's just say throwing other people under the bus. All right. <laughs> Blame, shame, and condemnation. Awesome. Wow. Thank you for that, that, that illustration. Um, yeah, you guys have, apparently have never experienced disunion or, or, uh, or, or disconnection with people. Hurt, okay, hurt, okay. Pride. Pride. Ethnicity, so uh, our ethnicity, okay. Uh, differences, I'd say this differences. Let's say differences. Blame. Blame. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Fear. Fear. What else? Shame, disrespect, politics. All right, what else? Expectations. Uh huh. Distrust. You guys are staying out of the weeds. Well, then you guys just aren't as bad or good as I am. Anyway. Um, ooh, how about gossip? Betrayal. Betrayal that's a good one. We're not. <laughs> what? Oh, we could go on. I mean, I, viol I would say violation of trust, right? So the thing about it is, is these are all darkness. 
He is light. Darkness actually has no substance. Light is true and real, right? And so when the light comes, it reveals. Anybody had a situation where you were convinced that somebody hated you? And you finally actually talked to them and it turned out they had a stomachache? You kept making faces at me. What's up? You like hate me. No? No? Anybody had a disagreement so you just didn't talk to someone for a while and then you found out they never actually had a disagreement with you? Anybody? Okay. Anybody heard a story about somebody, came to a conclusion with wisdom and understanding, accuracy, not accusation, and therefore you sent them to outer darkness and then discovered that the lie was not true because it's a lie. See, every single one of these comes with a line, therefore, we are not one. Therefore, we cannot be one. Therefore, I cannot be with you, right? It comes with this therefore. But that's why Paul says, in him, there is therefore now no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. Now notice, he didn't say slaves are all free. He didn't say women are no longer women. What he meant by that is these things have zero ability to cause division because we have been made one in Christ. When we realize that these things are powerless to separate us apart from our agreement with them, then we will suddenly together fight these things. You know what the best answer to gossip is? The truth. The truth. The best answer to distrust. Uh, So many things, we are afraid to actually fight for relationship. Who are my runners? They already ran. No. (laughs) No, runners, right? I'm not going to fight for relationship. I'm just going to run. But you know, fighting, attacking is also a form of running, right? It's like, instead, we give, make these things a real thing rather than Literally, what piece of brokenness in our life has Jesus not paid for? But when we choose to allow these things to come between us, we're calling the cross of no effect. Now, I'm not talking about making ourselves vulnerable to dangerous people. Just let's just be real. I'm just being real. I I mean, for there to be relationship, there have to be two people that actually want it. If one person's coming with a bazooka, I'll give you an example. For instance, if they're wanting to use nuclear weapons and chemical weapons on your land and take your land and kill people, you probably shouldn't submit. Just saying. But what I'm saying is when two people want relationship, this right here, are these things are simply shadows because we have been made one in Christ. And so these things do not take away my ability to say yes to God's plans for our relationship and our connection. Something happens when I start from the finished work of the cross. It's no longer effort, it's archaeology. It's not climbing somewhere, it's removing the dust and the dirt. It's choosing to say, one of the things that happened early on in our relationship, because I, I didn't know this about Masha, just this is advertisement. Masha has zero manipulation. She has no uh, hidden agenda at all. I, this was not my experience with the feminine half of the, of the population. 
I had very contrary experience, very brutally uh, hurting experiences. And so the first nine months we were together, I was fully convinced that she secretly was holding all my sins against me. She had a secret book and she was going to hit me with it right, you know, anybody know you're waiting for the honeymoon to wear off? And I was just waiting for it. And I remember one day I was just like, I was like, I had been grumpy towards her. And, and I said, I said, oh my gosh. And just about three hours later, I was like, I'm so sorry I said that. And she's like, what's wrong with what you said? I was like, you, what you said made sense. That was, that was good. I said, yeah, but the way I said it, it was across. She goes, oh, I didn't even notice. I was like, what? She's like, I know your, your heart towards me. I know that you love me. Why would I, I you know, I was like, who are you? <laughs> Who are you? What would happen if we actually believe the best of each other? That when we're struggling, when we're hurting, that each other, we go, hey, it's okay. I know who you are. I know that you don't mean to hurt me. I know you're not gunning for me. I know you're in pain. I know this about you. And we called each other back to our union rather than driving one another away. What would happen? What would happen? This is why Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your super spirituality. Wait, wait, wait. He said, we'll know you're your disciples by the miracles you do. He said, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. Because love is the ultimate supernatural manifestation of God. When that comes, love, man, anybody read 1 Corinthians 13? You're like, dang, I always love it how they do it at weddings. And like, you can always tell like three quarters of the room is like, <laughs> right? <laughs> love always helps. Right? It sounds like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? <laughs> Unless it's not. Unless it's not. See, you and I are incapable of love, but his love is what he has given us to give away. And that love fights for one another. It fights against when you believe lies about yourself, when you believe you're against me. <laughs> no, I know that your heart, God designed us for one another. I know I'm gonna call you back to life. I'm gonna call you out of the fear you're walking in. I'm gonna call you back to this union we share. I'm gonna call you out. I'm not gonna blame you. I'm gonna remind you who you are. Do you see the difference? Blame says you did that, da, 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 da. therefore you're a bad person. Instead, I'm going to say, that's not who you are. Why would you do that? That's not who you are. I know that's not who you are. And suddenly, we begin to fight from the union he's already paid for, confident that we are in fact one, even though in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. Because feelings are not truth. What he says about us is. We can have the worship team come up. Oh, thank you, Rich. You're awesome. Um. You are amazing. Oh. Now, if I'm being real and I'm reading the room, about 75% of you minimum are going, right, right, mm-hmm, yeah. What if what I'm saying is truth? What if, just take it for a spin in your mind, how would it change how you relate to those closest to you? How would it change how you deal with brokenness in relationship? What would happen if instead of viewing everyone as a potential enemy, you viewed them as a potential lifelong friend? What if every conflict 
Both of you ganged up on the conflict rather than on each other. Do you think it's worth exploring? If we could stand, what I want to invite us to do today is just simply give him your yes. Say, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to believe. Help me. I want to try, show me what my first step, my first party I can throw to explore this promise you've given.